37 years ago, Mary and I returned from our honeymoon in Cuba on February the 2nd, and we moved into a duplex on Lorette Avenue near the Pan Am Pool in River Heights. I vividly remember suggesting to Mary that we develop the habit of praying together. Mary was agreeable, and so we started. And I started by pacing around the room, because that's the way I like to pray. And Mary started by sitting in a chair, because that's the way she likes to pray. And I started by pacing and speaking out loud. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Mary started by being quiet. And after about two minutes, I felt this cold, icy atmosphere in the room. And I looked over and I said, what's wrong? She said, you're praying really loud. And I thought she was going to say, and God's not deaf. And then I would say, no, and he's not insecure either. But she didn't say that. I said, what do you mean? I'm praying loud. I'm just praying. She said, no, you're, you're praying loud, and we live in a duplex. I said, so what? She said, well, what if the neighbors hear us? I said, so what if the neighbors hear us? We're not having a fight. We're praying. It never occurred to me it would be such a battle to pray together. But the devil knows how powerful it is when people pray in unity. We are going to be beginning a series this morning called When We Pray. And, the, and it's going to go on for three weeks or four weeks in January. But we're going to begin this morning by talking about what Jesus said regarding prayer and unity, and how to get all your prayers answered. Yes, that's what Jesus said. How to get all your prayers answered. Why don't you just turn to a neighbor and say, how do you get all your prayers answered? And if you would turn, please, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And we're going to read two verses chapter, or verse uh, 19 and verse 20. And then Mary is going to give, I'm going to give a few thoughts about Jesus' truths on prayer. Mary is going to give an application that we trust will be a, a, a really equipping foundation for us as a family. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. It's up on the screen. If you're a guest here this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. And if you, can, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Jesus said, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this incredible, miraculous, powerful vehicle called prayer. And we thank you that you have called us 
to be a house of prayer for all nations. And we ask, we welcome you, we invite you into our lives, into our community, into this church, Lord, to equip us and expand us and enlarge us with this grace of prayer. And we thank you. You are so earnest to enable us in that. We ask this in that glorious and powerful name of Jesus and for the advancement of your kingdom, Father. Amen. In the context of Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew 18 about becoming like children in order that they could enter the kingdom of heaven and humbling oneself like a little child in order to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, in the context of Jesus talking about the radicalness of dealing with offense, about relational strife and church discipline, and the absolute of forgiveness. In the context of all that, Jesus says one of the most profound statements about prayer. If two of you agree on earth about anything, it shall be done for you. The reason I say that this is not just a prayer reference regarding church discipline but it's a principle of prayer, is because the Holy Spirit inspires very similar statements about prayer in four other places in the New Testament. Let me share them with you quickly. Number one, Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus says again, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In John 16, verse 23, Jesus repeats himself. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And in 1 John 5, verse 14, the scripture says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request he's at, we have asked of him. So we know we are not just talking about prayer in the context of relational strife and church discipline. We're talking about a powerful truth regarding prayer. A key to answered prayer. So let's look at what Jesus said about prayer. I want to share three truths with you. The first one is this. You can pray about anything. Jesus said in verse 19, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask. God never says, don't bother me. We can pray about little things and big things. Nothing's too little. Nothing's too insignificant. Nothing is too great that we can't pray about. Jesus said, you can pray about anything. God never says, don't bother me. Can you imagine a father of a little two or three-year-old, and that little two or three-year-old comes to the father and says, daddy, can I have a glass of juice? And the father says, don't bother me with that. Go away. Do it yourself. We would never treat a little child that way. And God does not treat his children that way either. Maybe you've said, I don't want to bother God with that. 
If you've ever said that, you do not understand the God of the Bible. He is our heavenly Father. He's a good Father. A loving Father. A generous Father. A kind Father. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, in the context of prayer and continuing to ask God for things, he said this, which one of you fathers, if your child comes and asks for a, a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, which one of you would ever give your child a serpent? How much more will your Father in heaven give you what you're asking? Give good things you're asking for. You can pray about anything. Well, you might say, well, how do I know what to pray about? Well, you can pray about anything. If you worry about it, pray about it. Any worriers here? There's three or four. If you worry about it, you can pray about it. Your Heavenly Father wants to take our worries and turn them into prayers and answers. So that's the first truth. You can pray about anything. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Number two, the second truth is God always answers our prayers. Always. In verse 19, Jesus says, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. God always answers prayer because when we pray, when we pray, something always happens. Our prayers are never in vain. God always answers with one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. And no is an answer to prayer. Think about it. Every one of your prayers is answered with either yes, no, or wait. Someone has said, when my request is not right, God says no. When the timing is not right, God says slow. And when the Request and the timing line up. God says, go. God always answers our prayers. We may not like the answers, but he always answers with yes, no, or wait. And when he answers with wait, it has to do with our personal growth becoming more like Jesus. But this scripture says it will always be done for you. Jesus said, ask whatever, ask anything of your heavenly Father. It will be done for you. This is a big yes. No, no, no waiting, only go. So what does Jesus mean? And that brings us to the third truth from this profound scripture. And it's actually the key to answered prayer. Verse 19, Jesus says, if two of you... Agree. Why don't you just circle that word agree in your Bible or highlight it in your device about anything they ask. And then in verse 20, Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name. There's another uh, a little phrase you can circle or highlight. The key for answered prayer is agreement. It's agreeing. And that word agreement is the Greek word symphoneo. Sim meaning with and phoneo meaning sound 
voice, or speech. It means to sound together, to agree together, to be harmonious. In fact, that Greek word is where we get our English word symphony from. This is more than just saying the same thing. It's, it's harmonizing together. It's not just words agreeing, but it's our minds and our hearts in agreement. Prayer is not just words. Prayer is relationship. That's why confessing our faults to one another and forgiving each other is such a critical component of praying together. The New Testament has another word which describes this agreement. And it's called being in one accord. And we see it in the book of Acts. That word one accord means to be one passion, to rush along in unity. And we see it in Acts 1 verse 14. It says they were all together in one accord in the upper room. And what were they doing? They were praying. And then in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says they were all together, all in one accord in one place on the day of Pentecost. And what were they doing? They were praying and the Holy Spirit came and changed planet earth forever and ever. And then in Acts chapter 4 verse 24, when persecution came, the scripture says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together in one accord and they began to pray. And verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the building in which they were, were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The key to answered prayer is agreement. First of all, it's agreement with one another. Jesus said, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it's good and necessary to pray alone. But it's most powerful to pray together. That's why we have a prayer summit. That's why the prayer summit each month is the most important meeting of the month. If you have to miss a meeting, don't miss the prayer summit. Because nothing, nothing is as powerful as our praying together. Everything, every work of God, every advancement of the kingdom, every miracle comes through that vehicle. And we have two prayer summits in the month of January. January the 15th to begin our season of prayer and fasting, and then January the 26th to end our prayer and fasting. And those two prayer times, I guarantee, will shape this year for Gateway Christian Community and for you. That's how powerful they are. Because we're agreeing together. Why is praying together most powerful? It's called spiritual synergism. Synergism is when the together, the sum, is greater than the combined parts. Two Belgium draft horses. Do you know what a Belgium draft horse is? It's one of the biggest horses on the planet. One of the strongest horses on the planet. One of those horses can pull 9,000 pounds. But when you put two of those horses together, they don't just pull 18,000 pounds, they pull 27,000 pounds. And the reason is synergism. Something happens when we do things together. 
And if those two Belgium draft horses know each other, if they've worked together before and they get familiar with one another, do you know what happens? They pull 32,000 pounds. That's the profound miracle of synergism. And that's what happens when we pray together. The first area of agreement is with one another. But it's no good praying with one another unless we have the second place of agreement. And that's agreement with God. Because Jesus said in verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. And that little phrase, in my name, it's not a formula. It's not in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It's not a formula. It actually means under Jesus' authority, surrendered to Jesus' will, submitted to Jesus' plan and purposes. And Jesus reinforces this truth when he talks about church discipline just above our passage. And in verse 18, he says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The accurate understanding of this little phrase is not that we have discretion to bind and loose whatever we want on planet earth. Literally, the Greek in this means whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. We can only do on earth what's being done in heaven. If God forbids it in heaven, we can forbid it on earth. If God's loosed it in heaven, we can loose it on the earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why John, in his epistle, 1 John 5 verse 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the requests that we've asked for. How do we know God's will? We know God's will by studying his word and by listening to his voice. And that's why the Hearing God seminar is so foundational for every single person who wants to follow Christ. And we have another one coming up this winter. You will learn how to grow confident in hearing the voice of God. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. I'm intimate with them and they follow me. And we know God's will when we study his word and when we listen to his voice. And his voice will never contradict his word. In fact, his word is the measuring stick by which we discern whether we're hearing God or not. How do we get all our prayers answered? We pray about anything. We pray together. And we pray in agreement with God. And Jesus said, I guarantee I will answer those prayers. Now, we're going to have a practical application of this. Mary is going to talk about praying with your spouse. 
So Ron started this morning by telling you a funny story about him pacing. Pacing isn't really the word I would use. Storming the floor would have been more accurate. Um, but of course, I was coming from a perspective of you know being highly sort of introverted, <coughs> devotional, almost like a nun. And um, so our styles were like vast opposite ends of the spectrum. In fact, what used to happen was our best fights happened during our supposed to be prayer times because conflict just arose from our different styles. All sorts of different issues arose and we had some of our best arguments um, during those times. Always resolved them though. Oh yeah. (laughs) Always. But you know, it was a real struggle. It was a real, I can honestly testify that coming to grips with establishing a regular, consistent, earnest, united, agreement kind of a prayer with, with each other was a big challenge. And um, I don't think we're alone in that. But the fact that we're actually even a couple that prays together puts us in a minority group. Family Life Group has done a survey on married couples and interviewed thousands upon thousands of couples and came up with a statistic that between, are you ready for this? Two and eight percent of Christian couples pray together. That is a walloping 92 plus percent of husbands and wives who don't pray together. When that question was framed to these people, they said, well, we pray over the meal. So their prayer time included the formality of saying, Lord, thank you for this food. We bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. And that was their prayer life. And in 37 years of pastoring, we can honestly say that that this statistic appears to be quite accurate. Not just in the lives of the people we've interfaced with, but even some of the pastoral and leader people that we have known over the years. It's a big challenge. So if this is so universally true... What's the big hang-up? I think point number one would be that there's too little personal prayer. And if we don't establish for ourselves as individuals a personal prayer life, we don't ever begin to develop a language to speak to God in. We're actually unfamiliar and insecure around God because we don't really know what to say. So when you add that into a context of praying with maybe somebody else who hasn't really developed their prayer life, it's awkward. It's awkward, it's unfamiliar. And you even can get into a situation where because you, you can be critical of one another as, as spouses, that you might just feel like you're being spiritually evaluated or measured while the other one's talking. Number two, it's too vulnerable. That's another reason we don't pray. We might feel like we're spiritually naked because bearing your soul to God, that's one thing, but bearing your soul to God in front of somebody else, that's a whole other thing. It takes a lot of humility to do that. And you also even open yourself up to the fact that whatever your spouse hears you praying, they could actually use that against you. Well, like you were praying the other day, you need a lot more humility. And, hello, you were asking God for patience this morning. Here's your opportunity. (laughs) It's too much work. Ron uh, mentioned that scripture where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there in the midst. The most critical part of your gathering is, is Jesus. He is the most critical, most significant part of your 
gathering. But I'll tell you what, when he genuinely comes with his presence, you cannot hide the issues of your heart. That is the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to bring to light. You can't just cover them over. Things like bitterness, unforgiveness, hostility, offense, uh, common marital distress. Those are the things that actually disable you from praying. And literally, when you're in the presence of God, how do you cover that stuff over? It's just very superficial. And because you might feel like, well, this is just way too much to deal with. I got too much roots here in the marriage of hostility and aggro between us. I just, you know, it's easier to just relate at a purely pragmatic, practical level. Let's just do life together. Let's just raise those kids. Let's just do the jobs. We'll do all of these things on a very superficial level, but don't go deep because when you go deep and you pray, genuinely the presence of God comes and he actually wants to deal with the stuff that's grown between you. But that's one of the reasons we don't pray. Number four, we're too busy. Many couples are working, maintaining a home, raising kids, struggling to consistently find time for their own prayer life, let alone their prayer life with their spouse. Number five, it's too irritating, and we've already touched that. Number six, there's too much spiritual resistance. The enemy works overtime to make sure we don't pray together because it's so threatening to him. And I cannot tell you the stories are legion where Ron and I came that close to sabotaging our prescribed prayer time because we ended up with a fight or there was, a, there was an issue that came up or something else and it almost got derailed. We had to work so hard to get it back on track. But prayer is probably one of the most rich, emotionally intimate places of communion you could have with your spouse. And yet for all the reasons above, we avoid it like the plague. I'd like to leave you with a thought that I think will give you perspective and be an inspiration to you as it is to me. Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the incredible wonder of being married. And he gives us that standard, that huge bulk of information of, of what it, how we should treat our wives, how we should treat our husbands. And it's full of all that treating one another with love and respect and submissive hearts and sacrificial love that gives itself away. And we go to that passage typically to understand biblical marriage. We go to that passage to preach at weddings. We go to that passage when we counsel married couples, but there's a verse that we miss that we kind of gloss over because it's kind of there and we don't really know what to do with it. Verse 31 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And here's the one that we miss, but it's really important. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What's the profound mystery? That God joins men and women together as husband and wife? That's not such a big mystery. The mystery that he's referring to here is that it's a picture that he's really talking about Christ and the church. You see, God's plan in the creation of man and woman and becoming husband and wife was that they become one. And this was a picture, a type, a shadow, a model that pointed to something far, far greater, which was the reality of Jesus Christ, the Lord, Lord of all, loving his bride, the church. And the Old Testament is full of types and shadows. 
Some of you may know those more than others. But a type and a shadow was always something that pointed to something. And God established those things in the Old Testament because he wanted to paint a picture of something bigger and better. So a couple of examples was Moses' law. Hebrews 10 tells us that that was actually a, a shadow of the good things to come in Christ. That's a quote. The tabernacle in the wilderness that God had the Israelites set up also, Hebrews tells us, was just a copy with all of its specifications and all of the practices of the, of the priests, everything in there that God specified you need to do. It was really just a copy of the heavenly dwelling. And also the Old Testament sacrifices. Remember, there's so many stories about that. They had to be pure. They had to be without blemish. Again, those were just types and shadows of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, who would one day hang on the cross and his offering was perfect and without blemish. So just like those copies, if you're married today, your marriage is a shadow, a picture, a copy, a model, a window that points to something far greater. The mystical union of Jesus and his church. And we have that beautiful phrase in Song of Songs that says, my beloved is mine and I am his. We understand that love relationship that Jesus has with his bride. That's why as married couples, our unity, our communion, our intimacy, and our agreement matters. It is actually an expression, a model of our union with the Lord. Our marriages are a reflection to the world of the heart of the Lord for his church. And it's one of the ways that we display him. This means that our lives together, physically, relationally, spiritually, have a purpose beyond just doing life together as husband and wife. You're not just cohabiting the same establishment, having kids, and doing life together. There's something far greater that your life as a husband and wife point to and change the world's perspective about who Jesus is and who the church is. Our spiritual relationship and unity expresses the spiritual relationship of the unity of Christ and his church. That's why it's important that we engage with one another on a spiritual level. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you all about being a new creation in Christ, that we have access all the time. We're new. The old is gone. The new has come. We have dual citizenship in heaven on earth. The word says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. We have new capacity to hear, to see, to discern, to understand, to interact and engage with Jesus Christ at a spiritual level than we ever did when we were dead. But now, you connect two new creations in Christ. What have you got now? You've got two new, kinos new creations who have the capacity to hear, the capacity to see, the capacity to engage. And as new creations, we can now relate at that level, which is the level that the Lord wants us to relate on, not just doing life together. And Jesus loves to join that gathering 
because he's at the center of it all. A whole new realm opens up to those who have been made alive in Christ, who hear him and pray the kind of prayers that he prays and to see his kingdom come here on the earth as it is in heaven where we have dual citizenship. This takes work. It really does. And it takes effort to get over those obstacles that we already mentioned, but it yields a harvest of what I love to call God's conspicuous activity in our lives, in our children's lives, and in everything else that we seek him about. And I think the enemy works overtime to contend with our praying life and because he knows that it will impair our ability to reflect Jesus and his love for the church accurately. And it will also thwart God's purposes. He wants, the enemy wants to prevent the strengthening of our spiritual bonds and resist every attempt towards oneness and agreement because in that place where Christ is at the center and his will is elevated, we receive discernment, understanding. We can fight the real fight, not the petty ones, and make decrees in his name that destroy the work of the enemy and that build up our families. So, how do we go about praying together with our spouse if this is not already a habit you've cultivated? Let us give you some practical steps in how you go about this. And, and what if you're single? Maybe you're saying, hey, what about us? You're only speaking to part of the church here. Well, how does praying in agreement apply if you're a single person? I want to encourage you, ask the Lord to give you a prayer partner. That's the two. If two of you agree, that's the two. And, and I know some of you already do that who are single. You have a prayer partner, someone you're in agreement with. But let's take a look at these practical steps. Number one, schedule a time. Mary and I have tried all kinds of ways of praying together. One of them was praying we, when we get into bed to go to sleep. And if you've ever done that, you know what happens. You're laying nice and comfortable and warm and you're talking to Jesus and suddenly you're saying nonsense because you've actually gone to sleep. And then we thought, well, that's no good. We've got to get out. We'll kneel beside the bed. So we got out. We knelt beside the bed, put our heads down, and the exact same thing happened. Talking to Jesus one minute and gibberish the next minute. We're not talking about that. A, a few words to the Lord before you go to sleep. We're talking about an intentional, strategic, concentrated time of prayer. Even if it's only 15 or 20 minutes, but it's an appointment. Write it in your diary. Have an end as well as a beginning time. It's an appointment. And that's why the prayer furnace is such a fantastic provision for us. 24-7 we have availability where we can go and actually make an appointment to pray with Jesus. Number two. Is find a place. These are very basic points. But find a place in the context in which you live that is free from distraction and you know is going to be free from interruption. For some of you with smaller children, that's going to be an issue. But find a place and just stay there and make that your place of prayer. Number three. Gather. Discuss and agree what to pray about. Do a little dialogue before you start. So what are the things on your heart? What are the things on your heart? What are the things that, that God, you know, that, that are, are a burden to you and anxiety to you, the things that you really want to seek God about? 
and you agree and God comes into that midst. Fourthly, ask the Lord, how do you want me to pray? Remember, we're new creations and we can hear. And he wants to tell you how to pray because he's already praying. He has a will. He has a destination and, a, and an end goal in sight for your children, for the things in your life, your jobs, your, your stresses, the, thing, the decisions that you have to make. He already knows. So what Ron, when Ron and I will do, especially when we pray for our kids and our extended family, we'll say, Lord, how do you want us to pray for Elise today? And we just take a minute because we know my sheep hear my voice, he says, and so we listen. And sometimes what happens is you just get a little picture or you get a vision or you get a little inkling or a word or an understanding, just a small thought. You write it down and then you begin to pray. Ask him, Lord, how do you want us to pray? Uh, number five is give thanks and pray. Start your prayers with thanksgiving. That's one of the easiest ways to begin a conversation with God is just giving thanks. And the Bible says in Colossians 4, it's one of the ways we keep alert in prayer. Expect awkwardness and just get over it. Number seven, fast. If you have a particularly resistant or urgent issue in your life or in your family's life or in something, fast. We have seen extraordinary, accelerated answers to prayer when we have fasted together. And lastly, persevere. Don't quit. Don't give up. This is God's will for you. Fight for this ground. Your perseverance will be rewarded exceedingly abundantly beyond. And the benefits of this are legion. Some of them I'll just mention. You will encounter God together. You will know a greater unity. You will hear your spouse's heart and on, and, or your prayer partner's heart. You will deepen communication, intimacy, and fellowship with one another. You'll face your stresses together at a whole new level. You'll be effective in your prayer. You'll be heading in the same direction. How great is that in a marriage? You will show love by praying for each other. Forgiveness will flow and resentments will unravel and you will defeat the purposes of the enemy. The greatest prayer you can ever pray is the prayer of salvation. And I'm going to invite you, if you're here this morning or you're listening on the internet in this very first day of a new year, and there's never been a definitive moment in your life where you've said yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that before we take communion. Or maybe you've wandered away from Jesus and you've had enough. I watched a video where Sylvester Stallone was being interviewed. And he said, you know, I was a Catholic. I believed in God. I went to Hollywood. I got all messed up. I became famous. I lost my roots. I tried to get back. I, the success just kept driving me deeper away from God until finally I said, I've had enough. And he said, I made a decision to come back to Christ. And he was testifying on TV about his return to Christ whatever that was for him. But I want to invite you. Maybe that's you this morning. It begins with a simple prayer. Just saying, Jesus, I'm opening my life up to you and I'm going to lead you in that prayer this morning. Would you join with me as we pray this? I'm going to pray out loud. I'm inviting you to pray out loud as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you for being the Savior. 
And thank you for being my Savior. I open my life up to you today. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Take control of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And fill me with your love, your joy, and your faith. Amen. Now that is just the beginning of a relationship that says, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. And if you prayed that to receive Christ for the first time this morning, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to get you in discipleship so that you can grow in your spiritual walk with God. And so afterwards, if you prayed that to receive Christ for the first time, please come forward and we would love to... uh, get you growing in a relationship with him. Thank you.